John. In fact, this is our 22nd week in the Gospel of John. And today we're talking about mixed metaphors, mixed metaphors. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 10. We're going to be looking at several texts from John chapter 10. Now, a metaphor is a figure of speech that describes an object or action in a way that isn't literally true, but helps explain an idea or make a comparison. Well, a mixed metaphor is a bit different. It combines images that don't always make sense. Now, here's a few that I found interesting. Uh, running around like a chicken chasing its tail. That's a mixed metaphor. Sticking your neck out on a limb. There's another mixed metaphor. We'll burn that bridge when we come to it. Well, that's another mixed metaphor. Here's a few more. When the going gets tough, the early bird gets the worm. <laughs> See, you thought you knew the second part, but remember, it's a mixed metaphor. And then, uh, finally, too many cooks break the camel's back. You knew that one, right? Well, while these metaphorical mix-ups won't make your English teacher happy, uh, they can be effective because they stick in our mind. Uh, we shouldn't feel too badly, by the way, if we struggle a bit to comprehend our Bible passage today because John says in verse 6 of our text that this figure of speech Jesus used with them, they did not understand what he was saying to them. So John wanted his readers to know that Jesus' words were to be read as metaphorical or figurative. Now that doesn't mean that we don't take them seriously. Far from it. Jesus absolutely meant what he said. But he meant it in a particular way. So if Jesus was speaking figuratively, as John tells us in this passage, then he was speaking about something. He had a, a specific idea in mind, and he was speaking to those that were listening, including us all these years later, in a way that hopefully will help us to understand it. Now, in our text today, Jesus mixes a couple of metaphors together. He refers to himself both as the door and as the good shepherd. And then to mix things up even further, as he refers himself to the door, he references that word door in about four different ways right in this text. Well, I want to begin by reading the first part of the text together. The words are on the screen, and so I invite you to read them with me from John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Amen. The word of God. Well, you know, doors are some of the most common things in the world. 
They're present, I suppose, in some form in just about every single society and culture. Here are a few doors that I found in an article entitled The 75 Most Unique Front Doors from Around the World. Now, I love this text, and I love when Jesus uses these kinds of word pictures because he takes something that is common, a door, in order to teach us a profound truth about his worth and his work. Now, so far in the Gospel of John, we've seen Jesus take a number of ordinary things. Uh, in, in fact, what's the, the one we, we looked at first? He took bread. Remember that? And he declared himself from ordinary bread to be the extraordinary bread of life. Uh, twice so far in chapters 8 and 9, Jesus has declared himself to be light. Now, not just ordinary light, but life-changing light. In John 8, 12, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And now, here in chapter 10, Jesus declares himself to be the door. Now, before we go further in the text, I want to just make a, a few observations. First, as Jesus begins this text, he is contrasting himself with the Pharisees. We've met them already. They are the powerful religious leaders of his day. And in particular, Jesus is re referencing some events that took place just back in chapter 9. You remember last week we saw that Jesus gave sight to a man who was born blind. And that man eventually became a follower of Jesus. And the Pharisees ostracized that new believer. In fact, they cast him out of the synagogue and out of community life. Because of this, then, Jesus uh, basically accuses them, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, of being thieves and robbers. That comes up in verse 1 of our text today. Uh, the second thing I want us to take note of is that the setting in our text is just a normal day for sheep and a shepherd. In verses 1 through 5 that we just read, it is morning, and the shepherd is forming his flock. In a few moments, we're going to read verses 7 through 10. And the time moves maybe to the midday as the shepherd is feeding and guiding his flock. Shepherding was not only an important role in first century society, the, the metaphor itself is employed time and again all through the scriptures to show God's loving heart towards his people. Often he calls them sheep. For instance, in Psalm 100 and verse 3, we read, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Now, let's next consider for a moment just what a door does. So we think about doors. A door is designed to provide an entrance. That's probably the most common use of a door. It also provides an exit. Uh, a door provides a noise and a weather barrier. Doors also provide safety and security. And then often we will use door as a figure of speech. For instance, when we talk about God opening doors for us. 
in our spiritual life. Now, with all of that in, as the background, let's read the next section, verses 7 through 10, as Jesus explains this figure of speech that his listeners were struggling to understand. So the words are on the screen, verses 7 through 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Amen. The word of God. Well, we see that Jesus the door meets three of our most important needs. So let's just think about that for a moment. The first need that we have is for salvation. Jesus is the door of salvation. Look at the, the front half of verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And so the first thing we discover is that the door is a person. Jesus says, I am the door. We've already talked about this I am phrase that comes up so often in John. It is the personal name of God that Jesus takes and applies to himself. And so the door is a person and the way in is personal. He says, if anyone enters by me. Jesus declares that he is the door and that the only entrance is by him. An Arab shepherd showed off his sheep enclosure to a visiting tourist. And he said confidently, when the sheep go in there, they are perfectly safe. To which the, the tourist asked, why doesn't your pen have a door on it? The shepherd responded, I am the door. After my sheep are in the pen, I lay my body across the opening. No sheep will step over me, and no wolf can get in without getting past me first. Isn't that a great picture? Perhaps that's why Jesus can mix metaphors so easily. He is the shepherd who goes through the door, but he's the door himself. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep because his body is the very door that provides entrance for salvation. Let's break that down just a bit further. As we think about the door and the sheepfold, first of all, we want to think about the idea that there is a single entrance. A shepherd or a sheepfold only has one entry point. That kind of reminds me of Noah. You remember when Noah was instructed to build the ark? How many doors were there? one door in. And so too, there is just one way to be saved from certain destruction. And while this idea might not fit well in our popular culture that says all roads lead to heaven, that's certainly not true. We don't all worship the same God. Sincerity won't get us into eternity. Our good actions are never going to be good enough to save us. Jesus is the only way to salvation. Not long after his resurrection, uh, after the resurrection of Jesus, the apostle Peter was, was preaching. And he was preaching primarily to the gathered religious leaders and rulers. And he made this statement 
regarding Jesus. This is recorded in Acts chapter 4. He says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. He's talking about Jesus. So there is a single entrance. Secondly, anyone can enter. Now that's pretty cool, isn't it? Anyone can enter into the sheepfold. Salvation is available for all. If anyone enters by me, Jesus said. It's not limited to one group of people, but it is intended for the whole world. It doesn't matter what you've done or how you've been living. Jesus is the door of deliverance for all who are hurting and struggling and lonely and lost. He invites anyone in who would choose to come in. But then that leads to a third point about the door, and that is that a response is necessary. While the door may be open and available 24-7, an individual must choose to enter in in order to be saved. And Scripture gives us a full accounting of what and how we can choose to enter in to Jesus' sheepfold. So here is an important question for each of us to consider right now. Have you entered the door of salvation? Have you done that? If not, it is vitally important for each of us to make that decision. Now today, at the close of our, our service, as we often do, our elders are going to be available back there in the prayer corner. And if perhaps you'd like to speak to one of our elders... Maybe have them pray for you about this most important of all decisions that each of us must make for ourselves. Now, let's move on to another important need. Not only is Jesus the door of salvation, but secondly, he is the door of safety. The door of safety. According to the last part of verse 9, the sheep will go in and out. So the sheep were safe inside the fold and they were secure out in the pastures because the shepherd was with them. Now that phrase, go in and out, was a very common Hebrew metaphor, metaphor for just going about one's daily business. It's just the, the idea of everyday living. In Deuteronomy 28.6, it says, you will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. In Psalm 121.8, we read, The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I like that phrase. And I like that we get to go in and to go out. It's much more than just a, a uh, uh, in and out. You know, in and out. By the way, that's not a, that's not a burger chain, all right? It's not what I'm talking about. We get to go in and out. You know, in a way, it reminds us of our, our mission statement. It's right, right up there on the wall. Uh, we, we, what does it say? To know him. We come in. We come in to know him. And we come in to love him more. And then we go out to share him. We gather here. And then we go out there to bring others in here. We can come in. And we can go out with freedom because Jesus wants us to live our life with liberty, not shackled down with rules and regulations. And so whether we are in the sheepfold or out in the pastures, we pass through Jesus. 
and we receive his protection as his children, as the sheep of his pasture. We receive his grace. You know, with all that's happening in our world right now, isn't it good to know? Isn't it good to know that our faith gives us freedom to trust in the Jesus who is our Redeemer, who is our refuge, our place of safety. We can go about our daily routines and be confident about our salvation and our ultimate safety when we trust and choose to follow Jesus because he is the door of safety. And then next, he is the door of satisfaction. The door of satisfaction. There's one more important need that Jesus makes, uh, meets as our, our, our need. And that's found in the, the last phrase in verse 9 and 10. He is our satisfaction. Look, look what he says. And they will find pasture. Find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. You see, Jesus meets the needs of those who are in his flock. Notice that the sheep go in and go out and find pasture. We learned a few weeks ago that the, that the hunger of the human soul can only be satisfied by the bread of life. And so the question I ask of you today is, are you feeding upon him daily in his pastures? You know that, that sheep won't settle down until their basic needs are met. Are your basic spiritual needs being met as you trust in Jesus, as you eat of his word, as you fellowship with his people? This is God's design for us to find the abundant life of satisfaction. Listen to these well-known words from the opening of Psalm 23. We sang this song a bit earlier. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Since the Lord is my shepherd, I will not lack anything that is really necessary and good for me. Do you believe that? Because that is true. Friends, if Jesus is your shepherd, Everything else is secondary. You know, one of the, the best definitions of contentment I've ever heard is this. Contentment is not having everything you want. Contentment is wanting everything you have. You see, friends, if the Lord is your shepherd, you have everything you need and you want for nothing. And yet, Satan uses sinister ways to bring hurt and death and destruction. We see that in the first part of verse 10 when he says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. You know, the devil's design, his plan is to try and destroy us and he never gives up. Do you see that progression? First he steals and then he slaughters and finally comes death. Friends, if we don't know Christ, we need to know that Satan is coming after us. He wants to keep us from the entrance to salvation. And then if you are a believer, his desire is to prevent you from living life to its fullest. He wants to keep you from either being saved 
or to make you, if you are saved, to feel insecure by using lies and doubt and fear to steal your satisfaction. Jesus is the door to satisfaction, and Satan is behind the taking of all that is good. He's behind the taking of life because he's a thief who steals and kills and destroys. He is the adversary that celebrates suicides. He is the, the enemy that applauds abortions. He is the, the killer who moves humans to murder others. But if we have stepped through the door, we have salvation. We have safety. And we have satisfaction because Jesus came to provide the abundant life. And Jesus longs for you to live a life that is abundant. He came to give us more than just freedom. He came to give us more than just food. He came to give us more than money or stuff that we collect Jesus wants us to experience fullness, spiritual fullness. Unfortunately, some of us, even as followers of Jesus, are just limping through life, kind of stumbling along in survival mode. And that is not Christ's intention for you. It kind of reminds me of this story I read. I read about a, a hamster and its owner. Now, each morning, Sam would jump on the wheel, stopping only to grab a bite to eat. He was driven by some ingrained belief that his effort was getting him somewhere. Trudge, 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 run, 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 nibble, nibble, nibble. He eats a few occasional treats to break the monotony. That's Sam's life. And life for Sam's hamster is almost as monotonous. You get that there? Are you on the wheel, just chasing after stuff in life, seeking something that never shows up? That's monotony. That's depression. That's where Satan wants you to go, running and never getting to a destination. But that is not God's design for his children. Friends, Jesus not only came to save us, not only came to give us safety, but he came to satisfy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And that abundant life begins when we are born again as followers of Jesus. It doesn't wait until we get to heaven. It begins when you follow Jesus in obedience. The word abundantly means beyond what is necessary. It means exceeding. It means excessively superior. I love that one. Excessively superior. That is what Jesus has for you. An excessively superior life. Superior to anything this world can offer. Brothers and sisters, are you living that kind of life right now? Because that's what the Lord wants for us. Jesus wants us saved. And he wants us safe. And he wants us satisfied. Is that your experience? If not, why not? And this all leads from Jesus, the door, meeting our important needs, to our fourth point, Jesus, the good shepherd, 
models our greatest need. I'd like for you to read a next, the next section on our text, verses 11 through 18 from the Gospel of John. The words of Jesus. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Amen. God's Word. So here again, we have Jesus mixing metaphors as he goes back to his original metaphor of being the shepherd. And by the way, this is the fourth I am statement as recorded by John. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Now, this is reminiscent, isn't it, of Psalm 23, which we've already read a part of. But I want you to see that there was a little problem for those original listeners in the first century. Because Psalm 23 would have been very familiar to them. And in Psalm 23, David, the author, describes God as his shepherd. Here, Jesus uses all the same language that David did, but he refers to himself. Yet again, Jesus is equating himself with God. We might not obviously notice it, but you can be for sure knowing that those first century people did when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Jesus goes on to say he is no hired hand that's going to run away at the slightest sign of danger. Jesus is making it clear that his father is the owner of the sheep. He's not going to let them be injured. Owners have a vested interest in their sheep. Owners fight to the death. Hirelings don't. Jesus has a rightful claim to us. And that guarantees that he will protect us if we are a part of his flock because we belong to him. Jesus' claim of being able to lay down and pick up his life at will, that must have sounded quite bizarre to those first century people. Now, for us, it's easy to read past it because we have a different vantage point. But at this point, when Jesus speaks it in the first century, his listeners had no idea that he would be crucified and rise from the dead. To them, these statements were not only blasphemous, equating himself with God, but just plain ridiculous. Who can lay down their life and take it back up again? You see, Jesus wasn't predicting that he was going to be a victim of murder. 
He said his life would not be taken from him. He would willingly choose to lay down his life and then he would choose to pick it back up again and he does that all himself. And brothers and sisters, we are the recipients of that promise, of that fulfilled prophecy, of these mixed metaphors that show us that the good shepherd models our greatest need, and that greatest need is sacrifice. Jesus willingly laid down his life as a sacrifice to pay the price for my sin, for your sin, for all who would call upon his name. In Hebrews chapter 9, in verse 22, we read this. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so as our good shepherd, Jesus makes a sacrifice on our behalf. His blood is shed for the forgiveness of sins. But you know what else? When we choose to follow him, then he calls us to live a sacrificial life for others. And so may we, friends, as his sheep, as his flock, as his children, as his heirs, may we look beyond ourselves. How counterculture is that? In a world that says, look out for yourself. Jesus says, look out for others. Live a life of sacrifice. Pay attention to the needs of others. And especially to each one's greatest need. And that is to meet the good shepherd for themselves. There is no greater need. Because until we meet the good shepherd, we cannot experience the sacrifice that he makes on our behalf. The Telegraph is a British newspaper. And it reported... Uh, a, new, a news item from Spain. It reported that a flock of over 1,300 sheep had to be rounded up by police in the Spanish city of Huesca after the shepherd fell asleep. The article continues on and it says, according to city authorities, the police were alerted to the presence of the extremely large flock attempting to negotiate the downtown streets in the center of Huesca around 4.30 a.m. on Tuesday when a local resident dialed Spain's emergency number. The dozing shepherd was meant to keep the animals in check outside the environs of the city while he waited for the clock to strike 7 a.m. when he was due to guide the sheep northward toward the uplands where his flock would graze during the hot summer months. Well, the police eventually found the herder who was still peacefully slumbering. And together, the embarrassed shepherd and the police officers were eventually able to extract the sheep from the city center and return them to the pastures where they belong. It's a cool story. I like it. You know, friends, today we have heard about the good shepherd in Scripture. And because he is the door, entering through him is the only way to have peace with the Father. 
He is the only true shepherd who would and who did die for his sheep. And so if you hear him today, follow him and don't look back. You see, our good shepherd will never fall asleep on us. That's just not a part of his character. He always has our best interest in mind. And so have you heard his call? Do you recognize his voice? Will you follow him? I pray that you do. The Apostle Peter said, where else can we turn? Where else can we turn? Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. Will you pray with me? Father God, we are so grateful that you have provided not 